The Autistica podcast covers the topics that you want to hear. Our autistic presenters bring together scientists, professionals and experts by experience to discuss autism facts, theories and personal stories. We include a broad range of views and informally chat about new or unfinished research, so don't take everything that you hear as a fact. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Spotify. To hear more, just subscribe and we would love it if you left us a review. Welcome to the Autistica podcast. In this episode, Colin talks to writer and game developer Helen Carmichael. They chat about the importance of working to your strengths and taking time to support your mental health. She also talks about being involved in games and the games community and how it helped her as she learned she was autistic. I had a chemistry degree to start out with and I realised I wasn't very good at practical chemistry, but one of my professors spotted that I was quite good at writing and explaining. So that's how come I gradually worked my way into a job as a science writer. So it wasn't necessarily what I set out to do, but it's where I ended up. Um, and along the way, I did a master's degree as well in something called science and technology studies. Then I went off to London because I was very fortunate to land myself a, a role at a big science magazine as a as an editorial assistant. And I stayed there for about a year and a half. And after that, I went and got a job as a news reporter on a slightly more business focused science magazine. And I was there for maybe another year and a half, two years before I became basically quite burnt out. And due to various other circumstances, I just quit my job, quit London, walked away from it all and started to be a freelance science writer instead. So that's how my career started out. Uh, but I'm in my 40s, so that's quite a long time ago now. And I've done all different kinds of writing and editing since then. Um, and in the last five years, I've been working in video games as well. So you, you mentioned um, the sort of in your earlier career when you're doing the, the editing stuff like that and you sort of moved into to freelance. What were the, some of the things that you'd found difficult in the, the sort of the working um, pattern before that you found easier with freelance work? Mm. Um, well, one of the things I found when I went freelance was that I could do what had previously been a week's work in about three days. And I think the reason for that was that I could focus on getting the work done uninterrupted and that I didn't have to do all of the social things that took up some of my time in the office. So Previously, in a typical magazine or newsroom, it would be an open plan office. You'd have people chatting or coming along to offer you a cup of coffee or having a meeting and all these sort of things would be going on. And also just sort of people having a break or a chat at the water cooler. And I didn't dislike those things per se, but I, I definitely found that I was quite... I, I like to divide up my time. Either I'm working, in which case I get on with my work, or I'm not working, in which case I'm I'm socialising or, or doing something by myself and I'm, do you know what I mean? So I, I don't think having the two those two things mixed together worked particularly well for me, even though the people I was working with were generally very nice. When I first started out uh, in a very junior position, a really large part of my job was actually admin and I had to do all kinds of filing and sending letters of acknowledgement to people and mail outs and this sort of thing. And in addition to that, a small part of my job was very technical and scientific and involved a lot of uh, very technical proofreading and writing about quite complex areas of chemistry and things like that. What was very strange to me was that I found the extremely technical and complicated academic area uh, very easy. I didn't struggle with that at all. Um, I'd recently done a chemistry degree and I could remember the parts that were relevant and I, I found that quite easy. Um, 
but the parts to do with some of the most sort of basic tasks to many people just filing or sending the right letter at the right date and things like that I really really struggled with to the point that I had to go to my managers and say that it was too much for me and I wasn't coping and they did try and help me out with it um, but I don't think at the time they could understand either why I was struggling at the time and you know for a while afterwards I probably beat myself up a bit about not being able to do that and wondered what was wrong with me or why I was you know so chaotic or incompetent or you know negative words like that that I would use but now through the lens um, of being autistic, I can see where my executive function problems are coming from. And and I would know in future that those are areas that I'd, I'd ask for a lot more help and support with and I wouldn't try and do those things by myself. Yeah, and I think that that's, that can be the struggle, especially when you've had a, a later diagnosis, is, is beating yourself up for that very spiky skill profile that I didn't realise that everybody else had the same sort of things. I remember, um, well, actually, in, in in the current job that I do, I, you know, I I manage. I only I'm only there. I'm only paid one day a week um, while I'm I'm a student, so it doesn't interfere with my studies. But uh, the my biggest hurdle is just dealing with an inbox um, because that you know it's a very admin task and most of it's stuff that I don't need to action, but that just absolutely freezes me um and it's just never ending uh, i envy these people who have these zero inbox things where they go to bed with with no emails whatsoever i just can't do it one of the other things that like sort of thinking about as well when you were talking about your experiences um sort of in more office-based environment and the 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 hellscape of the open plan office <laughs> i don't think i've met uh, another autistic person who's enjoyed that actually i don't think i've met a person who's enjoyed the open plan office experience usually mm. um you sometimes feel the pressure to be social and then you, i always have the worry have i gone too far have i been distracting other people <laughs> but then you don't want to offend them by not sort of having a chat in the office and and things like that it's just a minefield so, so i am um, i can i can appreciate the um the desire to make the switch and sort of work from home instead i think i think that would be a dream yes, for um, and as i said um many of my colleagues were, were very nice people that i was friends with and some of them became my flatmates and things like that later on so it wasn't as if i had a problem with them personally at all and uh you know there were there were good days and bad days so there were some days where people would all get their heads down and, and be working quietly away and that worked fine for me there would be other days where people weren't getting much work done but they were being social and I said that's that was kind yeah. of okay I could handle that that was all right but uh the, the main thing that happened for me I think was just exhaustion so I would often uh, crash and burn with an array of, of sort of mysterious illnesses, uh, sort of migraines, stomach complaints, you name it really, all sorts of things, flus, things that, so I would work what felt to me like quite hard. And then I would, you know, once every six weeks or two months or something, I would crash and, and be really quite ill. Um, there was also the aspect of just falling asleep at random times. So, you know, I'd get through the work day, but um Falling asleep on the train on the way home was very common for me, um, or just falling asleep for large sections of the weekend. Yeah, I think that that experience of sort of well, I, I think autistic burnout, if I've seen, been the best word to describe it, um, is something that you hear time and time again, especially people in sort of later life. Um, so I'm really glad actually that starting to catch the attention of researchers and starting to, to sort of look into it a bit more and it's one of those things that 
just makes perfect sense to other autistic people when you have it when you have a chat. Um, I think the best thing I ever found for that was investing in um, smart lighting. So as soon as I come home from a busy day, um, you know, I just set the scene and I have different sort of relaxing light themes. The curtains are closed, the phone's turned off, um, and it's giving yourself permission to, to not answer the door. <laughs> I have pretended mm. I'm not in before as well, and just sort of say, uh, "Yeah, well, I, I think most I, of us have done I've that." Done my, <laughs> I've done my peopling for the day. Um, yeah. Like now, I'm just it's me time. Cook, cook some comfort food. Sort of twenty years ago, I wouldn't have given myself the permission to do that. I would have either mm. been going to an evening class or you know going out with with friends or the theatre, things like that, which I still enjoy doing. But I'm I do find it better to pace myself. Yeah, definitely. I think um, pacing is very important. I've uh, something my husband noticed uh, is that I always used to get in a panic if there were several things happening on the same day. You know, he always was a bit baffled by why that was. And for me, it really does wax and wane quite a lot. I, I have days where I feel, you know, quite go-getting and competent and able to do lots of things. And other days where I feel really overwhelmed by everything, sounds and lights and, and yeah. you know, the works, people talking and can't process things properly. Everything's in slow motion. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, and that's that's kind of the same sort of philosophy I'm trying to, to take as well. I definitely relate as well to that sort of doing multiple things in a day, which is what I've probably found the most difficult going back to uni. Mm. Um, I just can't do it anymore. There is obviously there's the planning side of it, but more so to the processing. And then I do so much to prepare for, even if it is just a lecture and I know what the topic is, I'll prepare, you know, to think about what questions I might have or if there's any group activities and then you're going through it and you've got the sensory bombardment and universities aren't the most sensory friendly places um, mm. but then afterwards you've got the whole sort of unpicking it and did I say the right thing and did you know did such and such misunderstood what I meant with this and you know what what did they say about the, the you know the homework for next week and so if I, if I have to do that twice with two different subjects, there's just no way. Um, and I think it's the same with, with work sort of things as well. It's just spacing things out so I can give everything my full attention. Mm. There's an interesting point you made there actually about sort of scripting, the idea of having to think through um, where you're going to go or what you're going to say to people Um or what you know, what kind of interactions you're likely to have in your day um, ahead of time, and also the need to maybe mull them over afterwards and put them straight in your mind. And I think that has actually helped me in my career in a certain way, which is that for for a long time I did a lot of interviews uh, because I was writing science articles, but often they would be um, interviews a little bit like what you're doing now. They'd be sort of careers articles, and the fact that I would mull over what would happen in a conversation ahead of time. And the fact that I was the interviewer, so I was able to make up the questions ahead of time and sort of control the narrative, actually worked yeah. really well for me. Those were the kind of conversations that I enjoyed having. I felt that they were quite information rich. If you know what I mean, it wasn't small talk. I was asking people about things that really mattered to them. As, as with most things, um, the need to have sort of spontaneous conversation in certain situations can be very challenging, but the skill to be able to think about conversations ahead of time and plan them was actually a strength in my case. 
there have been times when I've got the completely the wrong end of the stick and gone in and had everything sort of prepared. GP surgeries are the worst for that. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and most of the research that um, I'm involved with is around health healthcare access. Everyone pre-plans their GP appointments, but as soon oh, as yes. they walk in, um, <laughs> big list thrown off course. Just yeah, it's just a waste. It's just all of a sudden. Um, you know, it, it's just a really, really hard interaction to manage for people. Yes. So I was curious as well. So obviously, you've talked quite a lot about your um, your earlier career in the science writing and, and things like that. How did you make the move into game development? Just quite, quite a quite a different. Yes. Well, to be honest, um, it's it's via my relationship in that my husband um, was always a video game designer for you know, has been for many years. And he, at the time, was self-employed as well, running his own company as an indie game designer. And at a certain point, we were talking about card games because he made card games before. And I came up with a very detailed suggestion for a specific card game. And he just said, yeah, I think that would work. I think that would go down really well with the audience that I make games for which at the time was actually uh, casual gamers who tend to be predominantly female and predominantly a little bit older, actually. So, yeah, I came up with this quite detailed idea about winning or losing your fortune in Regency England based on on your, you know, your hand of cards. And, and he said, OK, let's let's do this. Um, so I continued my work as a science writer part time. And then we went to an organisation called Creative England, and asked them for uh, a grant to sort of set my career up and help us pay for making the game. And they thought it was sounded good and they gave us some money. So that sort of funded me part-time to learn game design really and to write the story for this game and do very exciting um, <laughs> deep dive kind of research into everything to do with costumes and interior design and things like that in Regency England so that was that was really fantastic and in the end we made a game called Regency Solitaire which is a casual card game and it, it did really well it's, it's really good as well the, the skills that you've had as, as a science writer and sort of that you know deep dive into the research has has you know been such a use, useful skill when it came to the, the game design as well uh, and in a way that um, you know players will appreciate that you know that it's so much more authentic and it is everything's appropriate to the period uh, i do hope that when you're visiting the stately homes that there's there's sufficient research in the cake we've had we've um, had scenes we've had scenes set in the regency time that have had tables of food or or meals in pubs and things like that and we've yeah we've we've tried to you can find pictures from old recipe books and things like that uh, pictures of feasts yeah all sorts of things online. If you, from, if you, from if you era, ever so. need, if you if you ever need any any food testing research, I'm sure you'll have plenty of volunteers. <laughs> I'll put my name down for that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We've done things like hire Regency outfits, or for our other game, which was about a highway woman. I dressed up as a highway woman and went to all the big game shows. You know, sort of wearing a mask and a wig and all the rest of it and corset. <laughs> and my husband had a sort of long cloak and a tricorn hat. So we, we do a bit of that as well. So it I mean it's it's a little bit silly, but it's kind of attention grabbing. And have you found um sort of meeting other people with the um at the autistica play event, um, have you found that's been really good actually for meeting other um autistic game designers, um as well in the in the sort of the 
the UK game um, developer community? I've definitely met a couple of people through Autistica. Um, one of them in particular, um, Shuhei, has made a really nice game called Disconnected, uh, which I think she's doing as part of a game design course, which is specifically kind of a educational experience um, about what it might, what it's like to be autistic, trying to illustrate a few of the kind of things that happen to you in a typical day. So that's that's been really fun getting to know her because um, she invited myself and a couple of other autistic play um, ambassadors and other people she knew just to do a kind of really detailed Q&A about our life experiences. And she recorded those and she's incorporated some of our speech and some of our experiences into the kind of voiceover for the game. At least from the people that I've met, and admittedly I haven't had experience of working in big AAA companies and so on, but just from conferences and uh, people I've met at various events and things, I would say that autistic traits are quite prevalent. And I would say that there's probably plenty of people who are probably are autistic in the industry. Yeah. Um, some of them, you know, know that and embrace it. Others maybe don't know it, but are quite are aware that they've got a few traits, if that makes sense. So I think it's quite a friendly place for interacting with people. And there's a lot of people who are interested in having those uh, very detailed, nerdy, deep dive kind of conversations. Um, there isn't a lot of small talk. There are a lot of people complaining that the lights are too bright and that it's too noisy. So <laughs> from that point of view, um, you know, I feel it's fairly easy to fit in. <laughs> yeah. I think I think it's the same in the research world as well. Actually, it's uh, quite often <laughs> I'll sort of be sat in the corner of a conference and just sort of examining and sort of think, mm, uh, <laughs> I'm definitely along some yep. kindred spirits in this room. Yeah, definitely. And and uh, everybody's quite supportive of each other as well among the um, indie game developers. So we tend to help each other, give each other tips, help each other with marketing, retweet each other's games. Um, so that's that's another aspect that's really nice that um, perhaps wouldn't happen in other businesses I'm not sure. Um, one of the other things um, I know we, we had a, a chat earlier about sort of um, representation in, in video games and you mentioned that you had a a, a story in hindsight uh, about a, a, a character. Oh right yeah um, it's really about my game Shadowhand which was all about an aristocrat, an aristocratic lady called Lady Cornelia Darkmoor. And she basically turns into a highwaywoman by night so that she can get up to all kinds of skullduggery and solve all kinds of crimes, basically. Um, and as she goes along, she gets various bits of costume and she always has to wear a mask when she's being a highwaywoman. Um, and then in the daytime, she has to turn up, you know, looking like a fancy Regency lady and all the rest of it. So whilst I was putting Shadowhand together was around the same time that I figured out I was autistic and started looking into diagnosis. Um, and without going into too much detail, I, um, also one of my children thought they were as well and, and started looking into it for themselves. So it was quite at the forefront of, of my mind during that time. And I think uh, I realised just when I was coming to the end of the process of making that game, that it was kind of interesting and poignant that I'd made a character who had to wear a mask in order to get things done, if that makes sense. Because I think yeah. a large part of my story to do with the me thinking I was coping pretty well, you know, out there in the world of journalism or whatever, um, but actually being quite burnt out 
it all kind of combined together for me and, and it, it just seemed really nice that I'd made made a story about someone who who kind of got things done wearing a mask if that makes sense it was a little bit of a a part of my own journey of unraveling my own story and thinking about times when I might have been wearing a mask and whether that had been helpful or not I mean, I know some people are very keen to say that they should drop the mask, you know, just let their true autistic self shine. <laughs> and I think that's lovely. And I know also that some people don't have the choice to mask and that they're unable to do that and have never been able to do that. And it's very obvious to everyone that they're different. For me, as someone who didn't really figure all this out for four decades, I probably had spent quite a lot of my time and energy trying to build a mask and trying to fit in. So it isn't necessarily easy to switch it on and off um, and part, it has become sort of part of my personality to some extent in some situations as well so it's, it's complicated but anyway I was I was very happy to explore this um, through this character and uh, yeah let players play around with their costumes and masks and facades as well we got quite silly in that the people could could put anything on you know they could they could wear all sorts of strange strange masks and hats and feathers and plumes you could wear a corset and a beard at the same time if you wanted to you know you could be whatever you wanted to be so in that sense it was quite liberating <laughs> if you're autistic a family member a researcher or you work with autistic people you can join the autistica network the network is the uk's autism research network run by autistica You'll get email updates about the latest research and you'll hear about studies that you can take part in. By working together and sharing knowledge, we can make real progress for autistic people. Find out more at autistica.org.uk.